Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Rider. I'm Damon Martin. He is Matt Brown, and we are back for our special year-end edition of the podcast as we get ready to wrap up 2022 here on the podcast. We are going to do a uh, look ahead at 2023 in a couple weeks, but it is coming up at the end of the year. The final UFC event has taken place, Matt. Uh, let's be honest, in my opinion, I think the final UFC event kind of went out on a whimper rather than a than an explosion necessarily. I don't know. What do you think? You mean you weren't going crazy during that main event? I was not. Uh, there were some great fights on that card. Drew Dober, dude. Drew Dober. Man. Yeah, how about Drew Dober, huh? Have you have you sparred with him, I assume, at some point when you were on Colorado? Yeah, we trained together a lot. They're good friends, man. I really like Drew. He's an amazing guy and a, a great athlete, man. And it's just so surprising he's not a wrestler. Like, he looks like a wrestler. <laughs> you know? He does. He does. Dude, I mean, he knows what a- that wrestler. Like, he is a good wrestler, but he told me he's a Muay Thai guy. I was like, there's no way you're a Muay Thai guy. You're a wrestler. <laughs> dude, what a what a fight, man. Bobby Green, and credit to Bobby Green, too. Bobby Green looked great early in that fight. And Dober, mm-hmm. my God, that dude's just a tank, man. Like, he just took some shots and got beat up, and then he's like, I'm going to keep coming forward. I'm going to keep throwing left hands, and eventually I'm going to get you. And sure enough, he got it, man. That was a brutal knockout. That's exactly it, man. He's a tough guy, bro. And, um, you can tell, you know, inspiring. And I tell you, he hits hard, man. Um, he's a tough guy to beat, you know. It's only, you know, the only what well, we see with Terrence McKinney, right? When he yeah. fought him, I mean, he had him rocked so bad. <laughs> I mean, Dober came back, like, yeah, like, yeah, what a great fighter, man. I think Dober has a the sky's the limit for him, man. I think he can do a lot bigger things than he's done so far. Um, I think Makachev, he fought him, right? And it was, yeah, yeah, Makachev. Yeah, Makachev yeah, dealt him, but I mean, that's, you know, Makachev's going to do that to, you know, 98% of people out there. So, um, yeah, there's no shame in losing yeah. that guy. Yeah, and that's one of the things that sucks. I, I, Drew would be a champion in most organizations, right? <laughs> He's in the UFC with the, all the pit bulls, man. Yeah, Drew used to tell me, I talked to Drew, and he was telling me stories during the pandemic 
when you know, everything was kind of getting shut down and so like everyone had to kind of like train in secret like you know because the gyms were closed and everything and he was telling me about mm-hmm. like it was him him and justin gagey would go in the gym and just have these epic sparring sessions to help each other okay. out because gagey was coming back obviously to fight tony ferguson when he did that interim title fight and i was like dude what are those training sessions like when it's just you and him like in there like rocky style just beating the hell out of each I- other yeah, that would be exciting to watch, man. Yeah, I never trained with Gagey when I was out there, but Dober a, a lot, man. And, you know, he, he's underrated in a lot of areas, too. You know, like he hits hard, he moves well, um, but he's got a better ground game than people think, too. Yeah. Here's a, here's a question for you, Matt. I'm going to throw this out there on the fly here because I always tell I, this story, um, and I love it because again, like there's, you know, when you, you sparring is not fighting, let me put that out there right now. We know sparring is not fighting. You're not going out there to literally, I mean, you're, you're sparring hard, but you're not going out there trying to hurt your, your training partner. If you're out there going, trying to hurt your training partner, you're not sparring. Well, that's not the point of sparring. You're not supposed to go out there and literally try exactly. to hurt your guy. But so I don't want to make it sound like that, but I remember, and I always tell this story and people probably get sick of me telling this story, but I remember when I went down to American top team a couple of years ago, I was doing a feature on Yuani and Jacek, but I was at the gym for like five days in a row. And I knew a lot of the guys at the gym. Well, I knew Dustin Poirier very well, and I've known Eve Edwards for years. And uh, they were getting ready to do a sparring session between Dustin Poirier and George Masvidal, Jorge Masvidal. Now, they're close teammates, friends, and now Jorge's a welterweight, Dustin's lightweight. They're not going to fight, probably never will fight. But I got to watch them spar for five rounds. Now they're wearing headgear and shin pads. You know, they're not, you know, but man, it was a blast to just watch them go at it. Like I just sit there. Okay. I didn't get, you know, obviously didn't take video or anything. I wasn't trying to be intrusive. I just got to sit there and watch these two dudes throw down. And this was at the height. Like This was right before Masvidal fought Damian Maya, if I'm not mistaken. And Dustin already at that point was like one of the top lightweight. It was so much fun just watching them spar. So I'm curious, every time we do this show, you surprise me with somebody else you sparred with. Like you're telling me about Dan Hooker. I was like, we'll just spar with Dan Hooker. Uh, <laughs> what is, have you ever had like a training partner? that was like a, an unexpectedly fun sparring session. You got in there with like, not a regular guy, not a guy you normally train with. Was there ever a guy you trained with was like, man, that was a really fun session. You know, who was surprisingly fun. I would say was uh, Brandon Thatch. Oh yeah. Um, I remember Brandon. Yeah. Not a huge name. Um, but he had, I think, what, four or five fights in the UFC probably. Yeah. And, man, this guy is just a wild man, uh, <laughs> but very calculated wild man. You know, he, he had just had – he has so much potential, like switches stances, the spinning stuff, um, just does so many different things in there and is very, very good, man, like very calculated. He could be very technical, and we would have great sparring sessions without hurting each other. Um, and we went hard before too, you know, I mean, we pushed each other hard, but we would also take care of each other a lot of times. Um, you know, and he's just a really, really fun guy. I would certainly uh, put him at the top of the list of fun guys. That was unexpected. Yeah. I remember, man, Brandon's one of those guys, like I, I kind of feel bad for him because he came in with so much like attention and then he just had kind of a bad run yeah. at the end of his career. He was so much, well, I went- you know, he had, to be fair to Brandon, he had some sort of skin condition. I, I think it was a skin condition where he couldn't really grapple very often because we would always be like, dude, like you need to grapple more or whatever. And then we found out later um, his skin would, I forget what, you know, some sort of allergic reaction or something. And like when people were rubbing on him like that, he just couldn't stay on the mats very much. So wow. he was always doing striking and people figured out pretty quick that he's a hell of a good striker. And he's just a gigantic guy for that weight too. 
um, you know, people figured out uh, he's a great striker and his weakness is the ground. He just never had the opportunity to really work on it that much, I guess. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, I went out there and covered his fight with uh, Benson Henderson in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the times I went out to Colorado, to Broomfield, Colorado, and it was a fight. He was a he was a really good dude, good fight. Benson Henderson, for that matter, as well. I've always liked Benson as well. But I remember that like, he was just all the all the talent in the world. And it sucks. It's like it reminds me of uh, uh, you know, anytime you hear about guys that just have like an unfortunate situation that kind of like you know put a you know kink in their career, you kind of feel bad for them. Like I. We're going to talk about this later. We're going to talk about the biggest stories of the year, but I don't think there's ever been a bigger case of like somebody's body backfiring on them bigger than Cain Velasquez. Like I think Cain Velasquez, mm-hmm. talent-wise, probably the greatest heavyweight ever. I mean, that dude was a monster. He was an absolute yeah, monster, but he could not stay healthy. Like he could not. Yeah. Like if he was healthy, and I understand it's heavyweight, so like you know. You have to play in like the one punch, you know, catching you off guard kind of factor. I understand that. But if there was one guy you were going to ask me to gamble my life savings on that would have had like eight title defenses at heavyweight, it would have been Cain Velasquez. He just could not yeah. stay healthy. I totally agree with you on that, man. And he certainly had the best cardio of any heavyweight I think we've ever seen. I mean, this guy pushed the pace that, like, even if you're like, you better knock him out, you know, like, because he's going to, the fifth round, he's still going to be throwing volume. I mean, he he had the cardio better than a lot of the lighter weights that you see. I mean, so I'm right there with you, man. I think he could have been one of the greatest. And you know what's crazy is, like, he was never the biggest guy. He was not actually a very big heavyweight. Yeah. I remember when I met when I met Kane the first time years ago, uh, right after he kind of got on the scene. Like, I think I was at his first ever UFC fight. I want to say it was, like, the next event I met him. And I was like, and I, you know, I mean, obviously, you know me, man. I'm like six foot three. I'm a big dude. And I met Kane. I was like, this dude does not look like a heavyweight. Like he did. He was smaller yeah. than me. I was like, what the hell? I remember when he fought Lesnar. And I know, listen, we can all sit here and talk about Brock Lesnar's like all the flaws he had in his game. But like Brock was a big, physically strong dude. And Kane just yeah. like chucked him around the cage, like chucked him around the cage. Like it was yeah. nothing. And dude, I was so blown away when I met Brock. He fought uh, Randy Couture. I fought on the same card. Um, I was standing in the office, the UFC office, getting ready. And he comes in. And when looking at him straight on, I was like, wow, he's not as big as I thought. Shook his hand. Couldn't even see my own hand. And then he turns to the side. And you see how thick he is. And it's all muscle. Like, you have no idea how big this son of a bitch is. I mean, he's so thick. And I mean, you would think he's like a, a fat guy under there, you know, but this is a just a gigantic, thick, wide man. And um, I remember that my first thought was, you know, I could kick him in the head, you know, like he's not as big as I thought. <laughs> and then he turned aside and I'm like, I'm like, I do not want to try to kick him in his head because he's going to fucking break me in pieces. <laughs> he was such a he i remember the first time i met brock like dude his shoulders are so wide like i was like jesus christ so this guy's like thick. a house so thick man and i think that maybe that's just a fighter thing like every time i see anybody my first thought is like could i kick him in the head <laughs> <laughs> can i take him yeah he's like natural right we just size people up the second we see them that's funny that's funny but yeah i don't know like because brandon was a super talented guy but there's a few cases of that where like the guy like you just wonder like what could have been you know what i mean like injuries yeah, just wreck yeah. careers and i'll like, give there's, you another like, fun one well yeah while we're on the subject no, i'll give you yeah, another one. and that's um 
Hayato Sakurai, Maha. Oh, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I had a blast with that guy, man. Like, because he's just the funnest guy, too, man. Like, he speaks his broken English in <laughs> Japanese, you know, like, talk to you in the middle of the round, like, oh, good bunch. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he's just a silly, silly guy, man. But, you know, he, he's got that serious look about him, but he's so silly and such a funny guy. And we had such a great time, man. That was when I was fighting um, Dong Young Kim, actually. My first UFC fight, I trained with Sakurai a bunch. And just, a, <clears throat> you know, he's so old school, you know, that it was like, uh, he just do things that, you know, people, no one does today, you know, just that old si- system style that you just don't see a lot anymore. And obviously, you know, he's Japanese, so he's got a little different style. So uh, just a blast with him, man, and just such a great guy. It bums me out. And I, I understand that's part of the sport. Like, you know, like I'm not, I'm not exclude. I'm not like trying to like disinclude people because like, if you became a fan of the sport, the ultimate fighter like i remember you remember back in the day people used to like make fun of people like you became a fan of the ufc through the ultimate fighter you're a fan of the ultimate fighter you've now been a fan for like 15 years like that was a long time ago when that show started um but like it always bums me out when like you bring up a name like hayato mak sakurai and people don't know who you're talking about like that always bums me out i get it like i get it I get it because again, the sport has, you know, I don't, I don't care if you became a sport, if you became a fan of the sport at UFC 200. Okay, cool. Come watch the sport. I'm all for it. I'm just saying like, it always bums yeah. me out. Like people don't remember Jose Pele, Landy Johns. Like people don't remember that. Uh, dude. Yeah. You know, remember yeah, that yeah. dude, the freaking soccer kicks on that guy. That guy had some of the nastiest knees and kicks in the game. Mm. Uh, Rio Chonin, like people don't remember that name. Like guys like that, like, just cl- just old school guys that like you kind of forget about because they weren't in the UFC or they didn't really have like a big career in the UFC. Maybe not even that big of a career in pride even at that point. You know what I mean? But like there's some of those guys that like people kind of forget. Like Sakura is a great example. Like I loved watching that dude. But if you ask anyone today, like a hundred people, I guarantee there's like maybe 15 remember him. It's funny. I was in my gym the other day and I was doing uh, some, <clears throat> some like gorilla punches, you know, like two handed, strikes like from the guard and i was like yeah sakuraba and this kid he's an amateur really good amateur actually he was like sakuraba like what's that i was like you motherfucker like get out of my gym bro you don't know who sakuraba is i've in my in my in my lifetime i've owned like five mma shirts uh one of which is an immortal uh shirt i have my immortal affliction shirt that you gave me uh i have a I have an old school WEC shirt that they gave me when I went to a WEC show. And I kept that because of course they're gone. I have an affliction Josh Barnett versus Fedor Emelianenko shirt that they sent me. And that event got canceled okay. and I kept it. Cause it's kind of funny. Cause the event mm-hmm. never took place. And I have our, my, my old job at MMA weekly, our owner used to live in Japan. He used to go to pride shows. And so I have two things. I have a little pride glove. That's like a keychain. And I have yep, a Kazushi Sakuraba T-shirt. Nice. <laughs> that he brought nice. me back from Japan. I'll ne- I I I think I wore it one time. It's like blue and orange, and that's not really my style I was of color. Ask if you wear it or if no, you're saving it as a key no, fake. I saved it. I wore it like one time, and I'm like, I don't really want to wear this, but I still have it because it is from Japan. Like it's not like you know he bought it and like he bought it in Japan and brought it to me. Uh, but yeah, Kazushi Sakuraba shirt from like I don't know. This got me from like 2003 or something. Like old, old, old shirt. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's like one of the only MMA shirts I, I I've ever owned was a Kazushi Sakuraba. That dude 
when I first started covering the sport, like that was my favorite fighter. I loved watching Sakuraba, dude. He was so much fun. Yep. He was the Sakuraba Hoist Gracie fight was the first fight I ever watched live that either I bought it on pay-per-view or my friends bought on pay-per-view. I don't remember, but the first one I ever watched live freaking hour and a half long, (laughs) but the whole time we were just gripping our seats, you know, like when I go back and watch it, I was like, damn, I think I did that like last year, a couple years ago. And I was like, dude, this is really boring. <laughs> like, there's, there's nothing going on. But at the time, like we're just clenching our fists the whole time. Like this is so nuts. Cause you know, like Gracie jiu-jitsu versus Sakuraba and he and Sok was getting it done, man. The Gracie hunter. That's the old one, dude. I'll Gracie, never, yeah. a guy who I absolutely adore tells some of the best stories in sport. Henzo Gracie. Henzo always cracks me up. He's got great stories. Um, good, you know, I've always had a good relationship with him, but I'll never forget when he snapped Enzo's arm, dude. Like that was one of the nastiest injuries. I, he, I mean, it was, it was very reminiscent of, uh, I mean, different move, obviously, but very reminiscent of when, uh, Frank Mir popped, um, uh, Tim Sylvia's arm when you just see it snap and it's just like, Oh, Oh no, no. And he did, he did the Hoyler too. He twisted Hoyler's arm off his freaking body. Yeah, and they didn't tap either. I think either one of them, Enzo nope. or Hoyler, right? They didn't neither, even tap. They're like, hey, neither what one are you them stopping t- it for? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, uh, dude, your arm's gone. Uh, you might want to think about not fighting anymore. Yeah, well, what great times, man. Uh, yeah, Pride was what got me into the UFC or into MMA. You know, uh, Back in that day, that's what it was, man. It was Pride or UFC, and I guess uh, I was kind of a contrarian, so I like to <laughs> like, well, I like the Pride a little better. I and grew their up shows on- fucking amazing right oh they were great well i grew up on ufc i started watching ufc but then i kind of got out of the sport i was kind of out of it i was going to college and so you know just kind of got out of it and then uh i remember watching mark coleman our guy old coley mm-hmm. went over to went over to japan and was fighting in the grand prix and that got me back yeah. into it because i was like mark coleman was always my like before i knew him and actually considered mark a friend and did a podcast with him for three years or whatever um I when I because when I first started watching like everybody I liked Hoist Gracie I liked the little guy who was going out there tapping out everybody kind yeah. of just going doing crazy things, but then when Mark came in he was from Ohio State now I'm an Ohio guy so I was immediately like oh Mark Coleman that's cool Mark Coleman's there because I knew him from wrestling I knew him from Ohio State wrestling I was like oh Mark Coleman, and so then he was just wrecking people he was a total badass whatever. And then when I heard he popped over in Pride in Japan, I was like, ooh, I got to watch Mark Coleman fight again. Mark Coleman's still fighting? What's going on? And that got me back into it. So, like, a lot of my fandom was built around being a fan of Mark Coleman, like, growing up. And then, you know, I've been blessed that, you know, I've been able to become friends with the guy and, you know, talk to him, you know, fairly regularly. But, uh, yeah, he was the dude. Like, I was like, oh, he's fighting. And so I started watching Pride shows, and, you know, the rest is history. That's amazing, man. And I'll tell you what, to this day, there's still no fight that I've ever felt the tension for as much as Fedor Krokop. Oh, like, yeah. I remember the buildup for that, staying up till, I think it didn't come on till like three or four in the morning. Over oh, it here. was super and, late. It was super late. Yeah. And uh, just the tension, Jesus Christ. I remember like just chills running down your spine when Krokop was walking out and he was like, dude, what's going to happen? But, yeah. Like, I still remember that to this day, man. That fight paid off too, though. That fight was great. That yeah. was a great fight. Like, yeah. That was not that was not one that got built up and you kind of get let down. Like that one paid off. That was an incredible fight. Yep, yep. And you know, I remember because I actually broke my jaw. Like, um, 
either the day before or the day of. And I, and I was like, couldn't eat like everybody's eating pizza and drinking beer and i'm just drinking beer because I, <laughs> could, could I was like dude i'm so hungry i guess i'll just get all my calories through beer uh you broke your jaw was that for a fight when you broke your jaw no that was actually in training uh funny enough there's a newspaper article so it was this was in lancaster and there's a, a newspaper guy coming to interview me or interview all the fighters. It was, you know, a group of fighters out there, Aaron Kroll, higher, higher power promotions. If you remember I do, uh, this yeah. locally. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> he's coming to interview everybody. And, he, and after the, I got my jaw broke. I didn't know it was broken. I just, my mouth was bleeding a lot. And in the newspaper article, it talked about how this guy named Matt Brown is spitting blood into a cup as he's talking to doing the <laughs> interview with me and, <laughs> so it made for like a pretty good article. I, I need to find that article sometime, but um, no, I just, it got broken. I just didn't have a mouthpiece and oh. I was sparring and got hit in the jaw, broke it in two spots. And uh, I think it's part of why I have such a strong jaw now. Like it repairs stronger than it was before. Never got it uh, uh, wired or anything. I just, I was like, I, I didn't even know it was broken. I was just like, like, well, um, it hurts, you know, <laughs> but I, I guess I wouldn't got an x-ray maybe a, like a week or two later. It didn't have insurance or anything. So, it, you know, it's like, what do you do? Oh man. So you just went on with the broken. Yeah. I was going to say, did you get it wired shut? Apparently not. I, I did not. Um, I actually ended up fighting about three months later, right after that. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, I remember because I remember for like two or three weeks I was trying to train because again, I didn't, I didn't even know what a jaw break was. I was like, well, it's broken. Like, what does that matter? Does that really matter? You know? Um, but I'm sitting there training and like, I'm hitting the bag and like the shock running through my body's hurting my jaw. And I'm like, dude, I still got to keep hitting the bag anyway. <laughs> Lord knows how much worse I made it, but my <laughs> teeth are a little crooked now. I have to get it fixed up. They said uh, to fix it, they have to re-break the jaw and go through the whole process again. I'm like, ah, I don't really want to go through that. Oh man, that's yeah. That's when you know you're an old school guy right there. When you're just like broken jaw, no insurance. I'll just let it heal on its own. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I got so many stupid little stories like that. Ter you know, just fighting with torn ligaments and well, a, a broken jaw. I guess um, you know, just stupid stuff, man. Like you know, we're young kids and we just wanted to fight. It's just such a different world today with you know, of course, social media and just the the whole the size of the sport the the chances out there whereas back in my days like we just wanted to fight man i knew guys that would fight you know ohio used to have more shows than any state in the country and uh, there'd be shows on friday saturday and sunday and i know guys that would fight on all three of them i mean <laughs> you know we were just a, a bunch of young savage dumbasses man but we had a fucking blast doing it and made us who we are today so you fought three months later. So you probably fought with a broken jaw. Like there's no way it was actually healed at that point, especially if you didn't have a wire shutter. Still hurt. <laughs> no, it, it definitely still hurt. And I had a boiling bite mouthpiece. I didn't have no professional mouthpiece. So <laughs> I wasn't protecting it very well. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it was my pro debut was when I fought after that. And I remember going in thinking like, and the guy happened to, he was a, a golden gloves boxer, a really good one. And I remember like, you know, I wanted to show that my Muay Thai would outdo his boxing. And I was like, man, I'm just going to take this motherfucker down. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> if he hits me in the jaw, that's going to hurt really bad. And 
I guess to make that story even a little bit funnier, so the cage was it must have been made out of like a dog kennel panels because it had a bar running straight across the middle you know like uh about belly button height right so i was like i'm just gonna run them straight into that bar and that's exactly what i did i (laughs) I just you know did a double leg blast double hard as i could ran his back into that bar and then it was easy fire from there and you know when he as soon as he hit the bar he's like oh i'm pretty sure that worked (laughs) <laughs> you know you know it's uh you know it's a high quality show when they've when they've stitched together dog kennels to make the cage <laughs> yeah yeah i'm pretty sure it was dog kennel panels but if if it wasn't it was still the same it didn't have the i still remember like it didn't have the rubber coating yeah you know like all these fences today right there like black they have that rubber coating over them like this one if, if you ever look at uh chain link fence like they have like little bumps in them sometimes and yeah. Like it had it still had those on it like this is chain link from fucking home depot you know like the cheap stuff <laughs> like, so i was like I, you know i just wanted to use my surroundings i was like well there's a bar there the, the the fence itself is a little bit rough i'm gonna try to use this to my advantage and it worked out <laughs> and the jaw was okay so you made it through the fight and the jaw didn't get hurt yeah. worse. didn't get touched one or didn't get punched once at least Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, that's uh yeah, I always like hearing stories about first fights because like I remember I was talking to Anthony Smith on the show one time and he was telling me about the time he fought. I care it was in Nebraska or something, it was like raining and like he fought like they fought in the rain basically, like the mat the mat mm-hmm. was slippery and there's mud and like dude, you people like that's what you know because like Anthony's kinda like he's been around for a long time, fought in a lot of the regional shows, like the people who, the people who, and it's not a knock on them. I'm not trying to make it like it's not, but like people who make debuts today and then like four fights later they're in the UFC, like they don't understand when you made your nah. debut in like 2005, 2006, like in that era, <laughs> like people making yeah. their debuts in, in bars and like there's not an actual cage. Is that like some mats or something laid out? Like people yeah. made their debuts in some wild shit. Well, that was my pro debut. So it was actually better than it was during my amateur debut. <laughs> so, <laughs> you mean, I fought in the rain before. And I, I fought with uh, no commission uh, more than once, which is really the funnest because then you can kind of get away with whatever you want. I knew the refs <laughs> really well. Mark Matheny ref basically every show. And you knew if you got Mark, you just be on his good side. You can basically get away with whatever you want. So, yeah, it was definitely the Wild West back then. We had a great time. But like I said, the, the craziest thing, one of the craziest things I'd seen was, like I said, guys fighting on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, they'd literally fight three days in a row. <laughs> I mean, the, just savages, man. You know, but again, like, we just had a blast, man. Like, that's, that's what it was all about. Like, there's a show this weekend. You know, what are we going to train for? Fuck that. We're just going to go fight, man. Like, you know, our training is going to be – I don't know how many times we trained out in the grass in the backyard, just have some drinks and, and, you know, learn some bullshit from the guy who he happens to know one technique and it's probably not a proper technique, but he's like, dude, check this out. Like, I learned this from some DVD. Like, like we used to watch uh, Frank Shamrock DVDs. That was my favorite. And, and it's amazing because I always discounted all the leg lock stuff. He was showing leg lock stuff all the time, or I guess they're VHSs, not even DVDs, but he was always showing the leg lock stuff. And this was over 20 years ago. And I'm like, dude, if I would have paid attention to that, you know, cause th- nobody was doing leg locks. Yeah. You know, we, I mean, we could have been 20 years ahead of the curve. We could have been John Danaher before John Danaher. <laughs> 
Okay, let me ask without you this. His, without his brains, too. Yeah, let me ask you this, because I'm pretty sure I watched those same instructionals. That's where I started watching instructionals when I used to do jujitsu, because I mm-hmm. loved Frank Shamrock. Do you remember? I'm not sure that it was a three-tape set that they had for Frank Shamrock, and it was like striking, ground, and submissions. I can't remember. That was like the three-tape set. But one tape, I remember learning submissions, he always had weird names for the submissions that weren't the names that you would know them by now. And I'll never forget he his one move he taught that I was really good at because of my size. I was really good at a, a move we all know now as the key lock or the Americana, right? He called it the telephone lock. Do you remember this from that instructional? Because I'll never forget I when I first when I first got involved in actual MMA, I used to always call it a telephone lock and people were like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, it's called the telephone lock. And like, you mean oh, the Americana, great. like the key lock? And I'm like, no, the, the telephone lock. It was Frank Shamrock's instructional. And that's what he called it. He called it because you have your head you have your hand up by your head. Like you're holding the telephone. Yeah. And yep. so he would grab the arm and twist it. Like it's a, it's a key lock is all it is, but he called it the telephone lock. And I'll never forget that for like years. That's what I thought that move was called. Cause that's what Frank Shamrock called it. You know, that makes a lot of sense. The telephone lock. I kind of like that. I might switch my uh, naming for that now. Yeah. But it isn't amazing how ahead of the game Frank Shamrock really was. When, you, was. when you go back in retrospect and you look at it now, you're like, dude, Frank Shamrock was actually a real pioneer, man. He was so far ahead of everybody. Frank Shamrock, in my opinion, and I know there's going to be people who disagree with me and that's fine, but I think Frank Shamrock was the first true mixed martial artist. Like, in terms of everything, like he was not specialist yeah. at any one thing. Like Hoyce Gracie was an incredible, you know, submission specialist. And Mark Coleman was obviously an incredible wrestler in the ground and pound master Godfather ground and pound. Frank Shamrock was like the first guy I remember who mixed it all together so well. Yeah. Like he was a good striker, good wrestler. His conditioning was off the charts. He was great at submissions. Like I always consider him like the first true like hybrid you know what i mean like you could not pinpoint what he was good he was good at everything no that's a great point and like you said his conditioning was just a uh, another level compared to the guys of that day oh i remember i mean one of my all-time favorite fights back in the day whenever i would meet someone and i would say oh do you know mixed martial arts or ufc and they're like ah, i kind of know what it is and i'm like so you're a fan they're like oh I, I don't really know i don't really watch it i was like all right come here and i would sit them down and I would make them watch Frank Shamrock versus Tito Ortiz because yeah. that fight had everything. Tito was so physically strong and such a great wrestler. He controlled Frank for a big part of the early part of that fight because Frank was smaller and Frank wasn't as good as a wrestler as Tito. But as the fight wore on, Frank made him work so hard for every position. Never, And he, he tired Tito out by like the fourth round. Tito was gassed. And I'll never forget, he went for a takedown, he couldn't get it, and Frank just started hammer fisting him in the head, and Tito was just yep. done. And I always show that fight to people because I was like, that to me is the definition of a real mixed martial arts fight, a guy who did everything. He showed ground, he showed striking, he showed conditioning, he did everything, and that was always one of my favorite fights. To this day, it remains that way, but like back in the day, I would show people that fight who would say, oh, it's just a bar fight, or it's just, you know, it's brutal, it's this. I'm like, watch... Frank Shamrock and Tito Ortiz, your opinion will change because that fight is anything but. It is all technique. It is all just masterful skills in that fight. Absolutely. And a lot of uh, so much of what happened in that fight still applies today. 
right? Oh, like, yeah. The guy holds you down, just keep moving. Just keep going. Even if he's holding you, just keep moving. And you're going to start wearing him out and making him work. And Yeah, so many of these things apply today. And, you know, Tito was a little bit ahead of his game, too, uh, or the, the game, too, in his own right. And, uh, you know, with his um, uh, ground and pound, you know. So the elbows particularly, right? He was, he was, he was kind of. He was like the innovator of uh, back in the day when people used to try to pass guard. He was the guy who wanted to be in your full guard because he'd drop elbows. Yeah. He would literally hold yeah. guys in full guard and drop elbows because he didn't want to move because that was perfect space for him to drop elbows. He didn't want to be in side control. He didn't want to be in half guard. He wanted to be in full guard to drop elbows on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember my first UFC fight, uh, Ultimate Fighter finale. Tito was out there yelling. I couldn't hear my own corner. I have no idea what they were saying, but I heard Tito because uh, I fought Matt Arroyo. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. He pulled guard, pulled me into his guard, and Tito's yelling, elbows, elbows, elbows hurt worse. I ended up punching him, you know, knocking him out with a punch from guard. But uh, I think I made Tito proud that night because still <laughs> didn't pass guard or anything. Man, cracked him with a good right hand, finished the fight right there. Uh, but that's something I always remember about Tito. I don't think I've ever even spoken to Tito in person, but – Hearing that voice, I can still hear his voice today, yelling, elbows hurt worse. <laughs> <laughs> Tito's uh, Tito's gone a little on the wackadoo side these days, but uh, Tito was always incredibly good to me, and I always liked Tito. And, like, Tito, because when I first started getting into sport, like, Tito was Tito was Connor before Connor was Connor. Like, Tito was the one of the he, first guys first. who would sell a fight before you got in there like he would like his yep. rivalry with ken shamrock was legend the entire lions then really but like the whole ken shamrock thing that was so built up because tito was a showman he was a fighter yep. but he was a showman he did the big elaborate intros and i'll never forget the fight with uh frank shamrock when they fought at ufc 40 when they had uh, they had fire the pyro popped up and i remember it said yep. uh I, i'll never forget there's was like this a robotic voice and it said who's in the house tito is in the house and then like and then it did his intro and he came out and he had the punishment shorts the fire and everything like tito was a showman like he was built as like he was like the first showman of that era who built trash talk and like showmanship into fighting and then now you know that's like I mean, everybody does it to a certain extent. I mean, we're doing podcasts now. Like, they didn't have that back in the day, like, where people could sell their fights on a podcast. Like, Tito did that, you know what I mean? And, like, you know, Connor and obviously all the great guys who do it now, but uh, Tito is, I won't say he's the first, but he's kind of like the pioneer of that, like, you know, trash talking to build fights and then go out there and just kick the shit out of somebody. Yeah, I mean, it had been around in boxing for a long time. He was just, I can't think of anybody in MMA that did it before him. But what was the first UFC fight you ever witnessed live? Uh, my first UFC event live, actually, funny enough, was UFC 47 when it was Tito versus Chuck in Vegas okay. at Mandalay Bay. And that was the night that Nick Diaz knocked out Robbie Lawler. I remember that. Uh, Cabbage Carrera fought Tim Sylvia, if I'm not mistaken. Chris Lytle was on that card. Um, but yeah, Tito and Chuck, and that's the night Chuck knocked out Tito in the second round. I was at that fight, UFC 47. And side note to that story, I went to the after party, um, and I was a big Tito guy at that point. I was so 
I was a huge Tito guy, and I went to the after party, and Tito showed up to his after party. He got knocked out. Probably one of the most, like, worst nights of his life, right? Showed up to his after party, signed autographs, took photos, hung out with everybody. Um, and I remember that was the night I actually met Frank Mir for the first time. Frank Mir was there at the mm -hmm. after party, and he was actually working. He had to leave the after party because he was working at a, as a bouncer at Spearmint Rhino, the topless yep. uh, strip club in Vegas. He was at the after party. He had to leave. I met him there. He had to leave because he had to go bounce that night at the Spearmint Rhino. And he was in the UFC at that point. I think it was like uh, six months later he fought Tim Sylvia for the title. But he had to leave the after party because he had to be a bouncer that night at Spearmint Rhino. But Tito showed up, took photos, took signed autographs, met all the people. And, and listen, I'm not going to sit here and defend Tito's whatever the hell he's doing these days, but I'll always remember that because I was like, man, this dude, like, he lost probably one of the most embarrassing fights in his life. It was a huge moment. Him and Chuck had this huge rivalry, and he could have easily just slinked away and not shown up, you know what I mean? Like, just kind of gone. And you know what? I don't know that I would have blamed him, right? Like, it was a bad night. Like, I'm not going to – I wouldn't expect him to show up and, like, be cordial with people. He was. He stood there and took autographs, signed autographs, took photos. You know, I was like, I'll always remember that about Tito because I was like, that was really cool. Like, he didn't have to do that. Very cool. Yeah. That, dude, you were right around the same time as me. My first live UFC event was 49. Oh, and wow. A very, very similar thing happened. I'm, uh, is, is at the MGM Grand, but I go back to the Mandalay Bay where I was staying. Well, first I seen, uh, you know, Nick Diaz fought uh, Carl Parisian that night. I seen him in the crowd after um i believe carl beat him if i'm if i remember right and yep this yeah okay and i remember nick complaining uh, he was very cool to everyone but i remember him complaining about you know not getting his full purse he's like oh, that sucks i'm not gonna you know i'm only getting half my pay or whatever right <laughs> we'll go back to the Manly bay i'm in the elevator going up to my room and there's these guys wearing randy couture shirts and i was like hey did you guys go to the fight and I'm like yeah we're going to randy's after party you want to go so I go up to the the penthouse or whatever, the top floor of uh, Mandalay Bay, and there's all the team quest in there. And I, I walked in, you know, I'm half drunk and, you know, I don't, I don't know who these guys are, but, but I just watched um, Vandalay and Dan Henderson not too long before that, th their first fight. And there's Dan Henderson standing there, Matt Lindland's there, and I'm just in fucking heaven, you know, but these guys, Randy's over there eating like chicken and broccoli, you know, these guys, they're just relaxing, you know, like just being nice. And I'm like, dude, I'm in Vegas, like at Randy Couture's after party. Like, let's let's party. And they're all just kind of chilling. So, yeah. But what what a great first experience, man. Oh, yeah. You know, I, mean, that was... I mean, and it was a private party. You know, there's only like maybe 15 people there at most. And, you know, they're just everybody's being cool as hell. Dude, talking about old school super teams, man. Back in the day, Team Quest, like when they had like it was Matt yeah. Lindland, Randy Couture, Chris Lieben, Nate Corey. Uh, I mean, they just had a freaking monster. Chael Sonnen was there, I think, at that point. Like, they just mm -hmm. had a freaking monstrous room back in the day. Like, they were one of the first, like, super teams of that era was Team Quest. Like, they had a monstrous team back in those days. Yeah, and every single one of them is just a killer wrestler in their own way, too. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, that was a great time, man. Monstrous. Oh, yeah, no, that's, old that's school funny, team. though. You were right around the exact same time as I was. Yeah, I remember and UFC. I actually, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I actually went to Vegas not even knowing a UFC fight was happening. <laughs> I just happened to be my first time going to Vegas in my life. I just turned 21 not too long before that. And 
my brother had an extra ticket. Someone backed out. He was planning on going. He come back from the military. He said, Hey, you want this extra ticket to fly to Vegas? I was like, okay, but I only have like a hundred bucks in my name. What am I going to do when I get there? He said, yeah, just come and hang out. Uh, I spent the hundred bucks before we got there. We'll go down <laughs> from the casino the first night. First time we come down and check out a casino. I look over at the ATM. There's fucking $500 in an ATM sitting there. <laughs> so I walk over and grab the $500. There's like no one around. So grab $500. Like, all right, it's mine now. <laughs> and then it happened to, you know, so I go walking up and down the strip and I said, wait, oh, there's a UFC. I wonder how much tickets are. And they were like 50 bucks, I think. And yeah, I ended up sitting next to a uh, Vitor Belfort's manager. Andre Arlovsky was like five <laughs> rows down from me. But yeah, what a crazy experience, man. Great memories. That's uh, it's funny you say that. I remember I actually had a similar experience. I went to Vegas for I think it was my twenty first birthday right around that time, and I went and I didn't know there was an event taking place that weekend. And I found out about it. There was a K one event being held in Vegas, and I got Ooh, to see yeah. Bob. I got to see Bob Sapp versus Chemo in the main event, <laughs> and I I saw um uh, uh Remy Bojanski lop off vernon tiger white's head he did a flying kick across the ring and literally knocked him out and it was like the craziest knockout it looked like some out of street fighter because he flew across the ring and just blew vernon tiger white's head off and i still uh, remember the knockout yeah i, I was there was in Vegas. yeah i was there and i met um i met mike tyson that night because he was supposed to fight bob sap they had built it up it was gonna be bob sap against mike tyson and Mike Tyson was there, and I'll never forget. I got, I didn't really meet him, but I kind of like brushed past him. I wanted to meet him, I didn't get it. But Dr. Dre was there, of all people. And I remember meeting Phil Baroni that night because Phil was there, and he came in with like two women. He was wearing like a fur coat. He was all decked out. Like this is like in the classic like New York badass days. But like it was the weirdest show. And I was like, I think I paid like $40 for a ticket. And I was like third row. Like I was like way close to the ring, like really close to the ring. And it was wild. I, I had no intention of going, but I heard about it. I was like, okay, one, this should be interesting. And yeah, it was chemo and, and Bob Sapp was the main event and chemo absolutely won the fight. And they held, I don't know if you remember this fight, but like they held the corners. Like it was like a one minute, one minute break between rounds and like chemo or Bob Sapp was done. And they, they ended up having like a three minute break between rounds to give Bob Sapp time to recover. And then he comes out and ends up knocking out the chemo, but it was so rigged. Like it was so 100% rigged for Bob Sapp because they wanted him to win because they were trying to set up the, the Mike Tyson fight, which never ended up happening anyways. Yep. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing, man. What a great time. I huh? like I feel it was bad. A lot of these kids are never going to get to experience these kind of things. Yeah, I remember the first time I met Randy Couture, UFC 53. It was Andre Arlovsky and Justin Eilers in the main event, yeah, uh, heavyweight okay. title. And Randy I had known one of my editors, and he comes over and has dinner with us. We have lunch in, in Las Vegas at the Trump Taj Mahal or whatever, whatever we were at. And I'll never forget, Randy sat down and ordered a veggie burger and, like, fries and a salad, like, this huge, like, had to be, like, it felt like a five-course meal. I have never in my life seen a human being devour more food in less time. Like, I swear to God, Randy could have been one of those, like, competitive eaters. 
Because he plowed through that. Like, I sat there and watched him just plow through this meal in, like, three minutes. It was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. I was like, Jesus Christ, this dude can eat. And he's just like, oh, he was just like literally like a shark going through his food and just cleaned it out. And I was like, holy crap, what an appetite. I was like, Jesus, Randy. <laughs> nice. Good for him. Well, I think we're going to talk about um, some of the things that happened this year, right? Not yeah, we're going to. We're getting locked in our old school combo, our old school talker know, mode. Uh, we'll have to do like a a, a, a couple, a series of podcasts on all the old stories, man, from back in the day. Yeah, we should. We absolutely should. So, yeah. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking from the provocative to the technical we're offering insights you won't want to miss so tune in to the future of work a prop g pod special sponsored by canva you can find it on the prop g pod wherever you get your podcasts support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're talking about the end of 2022 as we come up here to the end of the year, and I think we we should kick things off and talk about fighter of the year because this this was kind of a weird year where we didn't get a lot of, like, you know, we didn't get like like Kamara Usman was fight of the year in my opinion last year because he had fought and defended his title three times, which is so rare. You know what I mean? Yep. He had the big rivalry with Colby Covington, all that kind of stuff. But this year we didn't really have that. But I'll, I'll just go ahead and give you my pick, Matt. And I and I, I think this is going to be a very popular pick. Um, and you know, again, fit. go ahead. I can already guess Volkanovski. No, it's not Volkanovski. Okay, okay, go for it then. Let's hear it. Alex Pereira. Knocks yeah, out Sean Strickland and, and, and knocks out Adesanya, and that was such a big win. And out of nowhere, I mean, this guy, in any other world, let, let's be honest, Matt, in any other world, this guy wouldn't have got a title shot the way he did. He got it because he had the two wins over Adesanya in kickboxing. Right. Adesanya kind of cleaned out the division. He really didn't have any contenders left. He'd already beaten Robert Whitaker twice. He got it because of the rivalry with Adesanya, and and he went out there and did the damn thing. That was an incredible showing for a guy with like ten fights, and basically I think that was his fourth fight in the UFC. Um, and that's after knocking out Sean Strickland, which you know Sean Strickland just had to fight this past weekend. We know he's a tough dude, and Sean's not like a joke. You know what I mean? He went out there and knocked him out in the first round, 
knocks out, comes back and knocks out Adesanya in the fifth. Um, I, that's my pick for fight of the year because he just did it in such a ridiculous way. Yep. I think that's a hard one to argue, to be honest. I, I just, I, when I looked it up, who other people were picking a fight of the year, a lot of people were saying Volkanovski, um, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, obviously, he had a great year, did great things, and is on to even bigger, greater things. But I'm right there with you. I think Pereira, hard to deny he's number one, man, for the year. And and mainly because of his win over Adesanya, right? I mean, he beat one of the greatest middleweights of all time. I mean, next to Anderson Silva. So I think I'm right there with you. I was the only one I, – I was a little torn personally when I was looking at everybody of the year, everybody we could think of. Um, and I had a little list here. So I think some honorable mentions that are, are worth mentioning. And Chris Curtis is one that popped out to me. You know, this guy had such a great year and obviously didn't beat the same level of opponent as a Pereira, right? He didn't have a title fight um, against one of the greatest, but um, I thought he looked great in every single fight and certainly, you know, fought some tough guys too. And his last fight with Buckley, um, I think that was his last fight, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just looked amazing. So um, him and then the other one, and I think if he would have got the decision last week, I think Ankalaev would probably be the guy I'd be picking here. Um, it's hard to give it to him because he had a draw and, you know, kind of a controversial uh, fight there last week. But um, I had Ankalaev right there at the top too. Um, and then I'm going to give you one more honorable mention just because I fucking love the guy and it's, it's hard to make an argument for him as fighter of the year, but, um, but had one of the greatest years. And that's uh, Sergey Pavlovich. And oh, this yeah. guy, man, knocking out Derek Lewis and Ty Tuvasa and had a third win too. I can't remember what it was, but um, this guy has looked absolutely amazing. So those are kind of, that's kind of all my picks right there, but I'm right there with you. It's hard to beat anybody. It's hard to deny prayer on this in my opinion, but it seemed like a, a lot of the media had Volkanovski as number one. I like that you went down the list a little bit because a lot of the unsung hero guys, the guys that aren't in title fights, they don't always get in the conversation for fighter of the year. You know what I mean? It's kind of unfair in a way mm -hmm. because, you know, listen, you know, you can accomplish great things and you don't necessarily have to be a champion to do that. So I like that you mentioned him. I will throw out, it is a championship guy, but just because he lived up to the potential. But I will say Islam Makachev is another guy I got to mention. I mean, you know, yeah, the Bobby Green win wasn't like as monumental, but to go out and do what he did to Charles Oliveira after Oliveira had just wrecked everybody at lightweight and for him to kind of live up to the potential of what everyone thought he could be, I think that was pretty awesome. Um, also, another one that's – I know it's not going to get a lot of fight of the year across like, you know, women or men or however you want to categorize it, but I guess throughout Larissa Pacheco, four knockouts, mm. four, three knockouts this year and then beats Kayla Harrison. Now, we can sit here all day and say, was Kayla real – you know, was she as good as I believe she was? I was extremely high on Kayla Harrison. And for Larissa to come out there after losing to her twice and then to come back there and beat her convincingly in the third, I just, listen, I just thought it was an amazing showing and, and, and just, you know, goes to show, man, you're, you can be down but never out. She lost to her twice. She came back and beat her that third time. You know what I mean? Like, that was an amazing, and she had three knockouts this year on top of that. Like, Larissa Pacheco, man, give her a little bit of credit this year. Yeah, that's a good call, man. Um, like I said, if Ankalaev 
had got that nod last week. I just can't give it to him because he didn't get the nod. But I would give it to Tom Clive over everybody else. So personally, like I thought he looked tremendous in every fight. I thought that he did win last week. Um, or it was the last week or the week before. I thought that he won, and I would pick him for fighter of the year based on that. But he didn't, so I can't give it to him. So yeah. if my votes mean anything here, I'm right there with you, Alex Pereira. You know, and came from uh, you know half of the UFC fans, ninety percent of UFC fans, they probably didn't know who Alex Pereira was at the beginning of the year. Hundred percent. 100%. The way they knew about him was because everyone talked about him being the guy that beat Adesanya in kickboxing. They didn't know They didn't know that this dude was a freaking badass in kickboxing beyond the, the, the Adesanya wins. Like, the Adesanya wins were good, but Pereira was a freaking monster regardless. Like, you could take those Adesanya fights out of his record, and he had an incredible resume as a kickboxer. That dude was a monster in kickboxing, uh, but that's how people knew him. Everyone's like, oh, it's the guy that beat Adesanya. And then you see the highlight of him knocking out Adesanya, and then you get a real impression of who this dude was. And yeah, I mean, for him to come in, it, you know, whatever it was, like seven fights on his record or six fights on his record, win three, and then go out there and knock out Adesanya in his, in his fourth UFC fight, dude, that's un- unbelievable. Yeah, you know, I would have liked to see him have to work his way up a little more personally. Um, you know, he was obviously like thrown into that title fight really quickly because of his previous history with Adesanya. Um, but I think it probably would have been a tougher road to get there uh, than it would have been to be Adesanya for him if, if he would have done the road that everybody else would have to take, right? He's got to get through Whitaker. He's got to get through Vittori. He's got to get through, you know, just the who's who of that 185 division, whereas he beat Sean Strickland, which is a great win. I mean, Sean is certainly no slouch. And, um, you know, we just seen it last weekend. I mean, Cannoneer is a, a fucking savage and it's questionable who even won that fight. But, uh, you know, so Sean Strickland's not nobody by any means. Uh, he's absolutely championship worthy, uh, championship level fighter. But prayer skipped everybody. And we all know that. And that's the only thing um, that, puts me kind of in between Pereira and Ankalaev. Like, you know, I think Ankalaev worked his way up there properly and he, he fucking got it done, man. Yeah. I mean, you wonder, and listen, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm not the first person to suggest this, but like, how would a prayer done if he would have had to fight? I mean, I know everyone's like, I know everyone loves to hate on this guy for some unknown reason, but like, what if he had to fight Derek Brunson, who is an incredible wrestler? Like, yeah. would he, would he have even gotten to the title shot because Brunson, like for a three round fight, Maybe Brunson a five round fight, but look what Brunson did to Darren Till. Look what he did to Edmund Shabazi. And like Brunson is a monstrous wrestler. Like, could mm-hmm. Pereira stay on his feet for two minutes with Derek Brunson? You know, maybe he could, but that would be an interesting test. You know, Vittori's another one. Vittori's got really good grappling, really good takedowns. Could he have survived three or five rounds with Marvin Vittori before getting there? I don't know. Right. And that's that's my whole point there. But you know what? He got the title shot and he won. So more power to him. And he looked tremendous doing it. And there was certainly comeback of the year, in my opinion. If if we're going to have that on our list this year, uh, we definitely got to have. I think Pereira has a easy case for comeback of the year. Yeah, he was down and and pretty much you know on his way well, to losing. And yeah, I was going to say Leon Edwards. Uh, maybe it's not <laughs> such an easy case because Leon Edwards had just as big of a uh, a comeback. There's another one that, like, again, fight, fighter of the year. Like, he only fought one, so it's a little harder because you don't have a bigger resume. But for him to go out there, 
Listen, I was on the. I was one of those guys who said if Kamar Usman would have defended his title a couple more times, like I would have put him right alongside George St. Pierre as the greatest welterweights of all time because, oh, no like the one knock that the one knock that GSP had during his reign, and it's a very small criticism. Trust me when I say this, but he wasn't going out there and just wrecking people. He wasn't knocking people out and putting them away. He had a lot of really dominant decisions, and you know, again, he was incredible. Maybe one of the most talented guys we've ever seen. But Usman, you know, he did knock out Gilbert Burns. He did knock out Jorge Masvidal. You know what I mean? He did the, he did those kind of things. So I was like, man, if Usman wins a couple more, like, he's right there, man. Like, he might be in that conversation. And then Edwards just out of nowhere in that fifth round sets it up beautifully, hits the head kick, knocks him out. Incredible. I look forward to the trilogy, hopefully, in 2023. But, yeah, I mean, let's not forget what Leon Edwards did this year. I mean, my God, to be down three rounds to one, looks like everyone thinks it's over. Everyone's just like, it's done. You know, he's going to lose a decision. Good for you sticking around. And then, boom, mm-hmm. out of nowhere, just knocks out Kamar Usman. I mean, that was – because it reminded me a little bit of when um, when George fought Carlos Condit back in the day. Yeah. And Carlos hit him with that head kick in the third round, and it looked like he was going to get him, and George was able to recover and, you know, come back and win the fight. You know, Usman didn't come back. Usman, Usman doesn't remember what happened that night. You know what I mean? He got clocked. That was it. Yeah. 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 So uh, putting Leon Edwards up in there. Yeah. That was his only fight this year, though, wasn't it? Yeah. That's that's why it's a little harder because it's, yeah. a, but it was a big one. You know, can't deny it was a big one. Yeah. Um, what about fight of the year? Because. There were some really good fights this year, and I know the two at the top of my list, Matt, that everyone's going to talk about, and I tend to agree that they were kind of like the most epic. Of course, everyone's going to talk about Yuri Prohoshka and, and Glover Teixeira. That was an incredible back-and-forth five-round fight. But personally for me, Matt, my favorite fight of this year, one that I've gone back and rewatched a couple of times, and I just loved the like back-and-forth nature of it, was Gilbert Burns and Hamza Chemaev. I love that fight. That was a war, and that was the fight where we finally found out how good is Hamza, because to that point, I don't think we really knew. And Gilbert Burns was like two exchanges away from winning that fight. Like he had him hurt badly and had him like on the ropes a couple of times. That was such a fun fight. And, uh, you know, it's harder because it was three rounds versus five rounds with the title fights, but I loved that fight. You know, that was my top one also. Uh, really? Only I had two other ones that were comparable, but I had Hamza Burns as number one. Chandler Poirier is, uh, is certainly got to be up there. Um, no doubt about that. I mean, you know, kind of the same, you know, there's just, you know, Chandler's a wild man, you know, <laughs> so he just makes it a fun fight no matter what. And, and Poirier withstood it and, you know, Poirier took the shots and threw him back and, you know, it just makes it for a great fight. But I can't forget about what my own personal favorite fight of the year was, and that's my own damn fight. And I thought it was a pretty good fight, but you got to toss that in there. That was, you know, top five, I would say, but it wasn't was, up there uh, with those two. That was the first UFC event I had attended in like three years because of the pandemic. That was here in Columbus, and I got to attend that fight. And uh, Brian Barberina, man, that dude's a dog. It was a great fight. Um I still think the judges got it wrong, but that's, you know, maybe I'm a bit biased yeah. here, but it was a good fight. Credit to Bar, you know, credit to credit to Barbarina. We talked about it last week about like you hit him with some shots and he was staring back at you like a caveman, like, you know, like dude, credit to him for having that chin, but that was an incredible fight. And that was, God, it was a dog fight. And, uh, 
Yeah, that's what you know. That's that's one of those fights where, when it's over, and I know you feel this way, like because obviously the judges didn't give you the decision that I thought I thought you earned. But like, it, it, it feels bad anyone has to lose. You know what I mean? Because that's just such a freaking yeah. epic, amazing fight. Like you kind of feel bad either one of you has to walk away with a loss on your record because it was just such a great fight. Yeah, and the only reason I probably put Chandler Poirier probably as my number one, even though I just said Hamza Burns, I think I probably changed my mind. Chandler Poirier was the only one with a finish out of all the top fights that I've looked at. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, Yuri did tap out Glover in the fifth round, so give him credit for that. He did okay. get to finish in that yeah. one. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And it is, it is crazy. It's like, cause like that was the thing with like Gagey Chandler, like Gagey didn't put Chandler away. It, it does kind of put the exclamation point on it when you're able to get a finish. And that, that Poirier Chandler fight was great. That was, I mean, that first round was ridiculous. Talk about like a, like you could just watch that first round and not watch the rest of the fight and be like, that was an amazing fight. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. Uh, those guys, God, they, they just threw some heat, man. Like it, it just didn't even care especially Chandler. I mean, this guy just, he wings his punches so hard and just doesn't care if he gets hit, like just throws caution to the wind, doesn't give the slightest shit, man. <laughs> like, like what a savage guy, man. I just love it. Love watching him fight. And Poirier, I mean, he's just shown it time and time again. I mean, how many, how many top five fights of the year has he had now? I mean, this guy just is able to get it done, man. And he wins the vast majority of them, you know, like, you know, the, the Khabibs and Makachevs, yeah, that's how you got to beat this guy. Yeah, it's funny, too, because we talk about Chandler at the end of the year. We almost forget, like, at the beginning of the year that he had that Tony Ferguson knockout in May. Mm-hmm. Like, he had that crazy wild front kick knockout over Tony, and then he capped off the year with the Dustin Poirier fight. Like, we – uh. We, we listen. I think honestly, we had some criticism for Michael Chandler after the Poirier fight. You know, talking about you know, you know, do you and you brought it up, and I brought it up as well. Do you want to be, uh, you know, do you want to be everyone's favorite fighter, or do you want to be a champion? Because you know, your style is built for fight of the night, not necessarily performance of the night. Like your 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 style is built to win a lot of fifty thousand dollar fight of the night bonuses, but that's a style that may never allow you to become UFC champion. I think it's an honest opinion, honest criticism. But there's also part of me that's like, I don't want him to change because, my God, do we get some fun fights out of this dude. Like, I want to see him against Poirier. I want to see him against Chandler or against uh, Gaethje. I want to see him against Dober. Could you imagine Dober and Chandler? Oh, man, what a good call. I'd love to see that. Love, love to see that. Could you imagine those two dudes throwing down? Yeah, dude, what a great call. That's a perfect fight for both of them. Yeah, like come on. And, like, and I think just... Dober deserves to fight some top guys, man. I think he he's earned his right to get up there and with maybe some top five, top ten guys. You know, that's a, one of the things with that division. We keep seeing these circles of you know Poirier, Chandler, Gagey, Oliveira. And of course, Makachev came through and ran through everybody. But you know, that was I like to see some fresh blood in there. And one of those guys deserving of that, I think, is uh, Drew Dober. One of my biggest issues with rankings uh, in general, whether we're talking about welterweight, lightweight, whatever, are when people sit on rankings, you know what I mean? And they're like, I don't want to fight this guy because he's lower ranked than me or he's unranked. And I think we miss out on a lot of good fights. Like technically right now, I don't think Drew Dober's ranked, but how would you not want to watch Drew Dober and and Michael Chandler fight? You know what I mean? Like, how would you not want to see a fight like that go down? I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, like, but that's what I'm talking about. Like, who cares? Like, that's just an amazing fight. How would that not be 
an all timer. Like, you know what I mean? Like who would not want to see that? Like I, I, that kills me because while I understand it, like you want to fight people above you or around you to advance your career. I get that. But like rankings aren't everything. And I feel like we do, cause you mentioned it. There's like this circular path sometimes where we get locked in. Like everyone's like, well, we got to see Poirier fight Chandler. Now we got to fight to see Chandler and this guy or Chandler and Oliveira. And it's like, mix it up. Throw Jude Dober in the mix. Throw Terrence McKinney in the mix. Throw, you know, whatever. Throw, you know, I mean, you know, throw one of these guys so in like that. Yeah, <laughs> we kind of, of figure out how that one's going to go. Uh, but yeah, like throw some of these guys in there and let's just have some fun. Like you know, throw the rankings out the window for a little bit and just have some fun fights. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, and, you know, we understand why the guys aren't going to work try to fight down either i mean you know they're all out there trying to get that belt everybody's trying to be the top dog so you know we can't hate on them for that but um yeah you know i wish there was some sort of solution for that right yeah no maybe, i agree maybe, like like chandler go fight drew dober you're not risking your ranking like yeah. say look if you lose you're going down two spots like you're not losing your full rankings you know what i mean like i don't know if there's a solution i'm just spitballing shit but you know, I'd love to see a way to make it happen. Just super fights like that, right? Like, we, we see this matchup. Let's see a fucking super fight, man. I agree. I agree. Uh, before we get out of here, Matt, so the plan is this. We're not going to be on the air next week. We're going to take a week off to celebrate Christmas, have some holidays with our families. You got kids. So we're going to take next week off. When we come back the week of January 2nd, we're going to do a special episode. We do a look ahead at 2023, and we're going to do kind of a repeat of what I did earlier this year with Paul Felder, great UFC lightweight in his own right. And of course, one of the top commentators in the sport, we did a look ahead and we picked and we looked at every champion in the UFC and we picked the biggest threat to their title and who would be the champion at the end of the year. It was a really fun episode. So when we come back on January 3rd, will actually be the date of the episode. It's going to be me, Matt and Paul Felder. And we're all going to give our picks for the biggest threats, to the champions in our look ahead at 2023. But before we get out of here and, and kind of close the book on 2022, I want to talk real quick about a couple of the biggest stories in, in MMA in 2022 beyond like, of course, you know, just individual fights. And and I want to kick things off with, you mentioned rankings and one, you brought it up when we talked about the whole Conor McGregor situation a few weeks ago, with the whole USADA thing, you kind of made you mad that he was sitting on a ranking, right? Like he was still ranked. Well, Conor's not ranked anymore. He's out of the UFC rankings officially as of the last rankings. I don't know if it's just, he got voted out or they pulled him out, whatever the case may be, he's out. We went all of 2022 without Conor McGregor coming back. We also went all of 2022 without John Jones fighting, which was a big tease this entire year. John's now been out for two full years, hasn't made his heavyweight debut. Now, I understand part of that is the Francis Ngannou factor. He got injured in January, had his ACL surgery. He was out the rest of the year. He's also got a contract situation, which hopefully will be resolved in the near future. But John Jones didn't come back. We didn't get to see him fight Francis. We didn't get to see him fight Stipe. Nobody. Um... Matt, I, I got to ask, like, these are two of the biggest names, but also, like, in terms of talent, like, I've said it many times on the show, like, I think John Jones is the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. He's now been gone for two years. For, you know, Conor McGregor's the biggest star in our sport. There's no question about that. He's gone, and, and it's going to end up being about two years. What, like, I don't know, is it, like, when we talk about, like, we know the UFC machine is so big that, it's going to keep rolling regardless of who's in there. I mean, they've had now 28 straight sellouts. You know what I mean? Like all these numbers are great. They're break, breaking bank at the, at the, at the box office and all these kind of things. So Connor and John Jones not being there, 
seemingly hasn't hurt the UFC in terms of what they're drawing, but at the same time, it's a bummer, right? Like we're not getting to see, I, I'm I actually, I'll be honest. Like I'm more bummed that we didn't see John Jones this year. Like I like Connor. So that's I love Connor. I'm, I'm a, I'm a Connor guy. I like Connor very much, but Connor's got to work his way back into conversation because he had those two losses to Poirier, you know, all those kind of things. John Jones, like I'm missing John Jones right now. It's been two years, over two years. I'm right there with you, bro. And I don't necessarily agree. He's the greatest. I think he has the greatest resume. Um, personally, just my own opinion on this is anytime you pop positive, there's an asterisk, asterisk next to your name. And I'll stand by that. Like you just, for me, you know, it's like saying, uh, you know, Barry Bonds was the greatest or something. And I don't even follow baseball. So I don't know if that's a good analogy, but <laughs> no, um, it's good. Uh, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying he did anything either. I don't know, but you popped and you know, you were not, um, you, you didn't convince me that you didn't take anything. Um, then I would be hard to convince, right? Because you pop motherfucker. <laughs> um, so I put an asterisk next to that, but with that said, I'm right there with you. I want to see John fight. I want to see him fight a heavyweight. I want to see him fight these fucking big, I want to see him fight in Gano. Uh, I think we're going to get it in March, right? That's what the word on the streets is, right? Yeah, that's what everyone's talking about. Hopefully, it happens. And it, it like I was actually like, it's not I was signed, really, though, right? What's it's that? Not signed? It's not, not signed, signed yet. Right? No, because Ingano still hasn't completed his contract. He's still technically going to become a free agent in about a month. Hmm. Okay. So, so it's yeah. Gonna, it's, well, I hope we can see that fight. I want to see that fight. I, you know, whether John's juicing or whatever he's doing. You know, he's absolutely, whether he's ever taken anything in his life, he is absolutely one of the greatest ever, an absolutely amazing martial artist. I love watching him fight. I want to see him fight in Gano. I want to see if he's got it in him. Straight up. It does, <laughs> you know, but it, 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 like, I understand the Engano thing this year because he was injured, right? Like, we got to, you know, give him a break on that with, in terms of, like, because, and listen, John Jones deserves a title shot. I, I'm not going to doubt that. He's the yeah, greatest, exactly. like, heavyweight. Like, I have no problem with that. The only other fight that would have made sense for him, and I am a little bummed we didn't get to see, is the Stipe fight. And, and I'll be honest, listen, I know Stipe, you know Stipe, we're Ohio guys, so I don't want to, like, I'm, I'm saying this as an opinion. Not because I have inside info, okay? So I want to make that clear. I'm not saying this because I've spoken to Steve and he's given me some insight on this. I'm saying this as a outsider looking in. Steve not coming back this year and not and because I think Steve wanted the Francis Ngannou fight or the John Jones fight. I think those are the only fights that really interested him coming back. For whatever reason, the John Jones fight didn't happen, and I know for an absolute 100 fact they were talking to him about that. And I know that and again. I don't know how far it went. I don't know how deep the discussions go, but we all know publicly there was a, a push for Stipe and John to fight this year. They talked about it in September. They talked about it again in December. Never happened. Um, I think there's a chance we've seen Stipe fight for the last time already. Mm. Like, I don't know if he comes back. Like, he's 40 now. He's got a family. Um, Stipe, to me, has always felt, one of the, felt like one of those guys who always kind of had one foot out of the sport anyways. Like, he was never, like, the super, like, you know, he didn't show up at every event. And he wasn't doing all the podcasts talking about the fights. And, you know, he was just kind of like, he was a family dude, a fireman who liked to fight. You know what I mean? Like, he was a really yeah. damn good fighter. 
but he always kind of, in my opinion, always kind of had one foot out, not because he wasn't dedicated. I just feel like he was, he was just, I don't think fighting was ever like the, the greatest thing in his life. Now he's got a family. He's a, he's a father. That seems to be his biggest passion. And you know what? I get that. Um, he's 40 now he's accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish. He's a, you know, the longest reigning heavyweight champion in UFC history, multi-time champion. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like we may never see Steve. I know it's kind of going off topic here, but like, I, I feel like we like as much as I miss John Jones, I feel like we may never see Stipe again. Boy, yeah, I miss Stipe just as much as John Jones, man. Like, what a fun guy to watch also. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, man, because we got, you know, Francis has some real battles in front of him too, right? Let's assume he gets his contract taken care of. Um, I'd love to see the UFC go to Africa, give him a, a big main event over there. That'd be fucking amazing. And, uh, you know, I've, like I've said before, man, I think Sergey Pavl Pavlovich is going to give some people some problems, man. <laughs> I'm not going to necessarily pick him to beat Engano. And I, he may have to get a fight between now and then, right? Um, to get that title fight. But I want to see it, man. I think that guy's got what it takes. Um, but regardless, man, what a, yeah, I want to see John come back. That's all That's all we want to see. We want to see him fight a heavyweight. Let's go, John. Come on. Let's get it going, man. Yeah, I'll put you on the spot. John Jones, Francis, and Ghana, who you got? Uh, I got Francis. I'm with you. I, I thought I was going to be, yeah. I thought you were going to go the other direction. I, I love John, and I think I've said it again. I'll say it again. I think he's the greatest talent, most talented fighter ever in this sport. I've never seen anyone quite like John Jones, but more than DJ, more than DJ. I think more than DJ. Cause he, he was more damaging. He was more damaging in my opinion, but that's also weight. I get it. He's a bigger guy. Like when he yeah. was in his prime, like when he did to Brandon Vera and things like that, but again, I'm getting off subject here. John gets hit. Not badly, but he gets hit. Francis Ngannou hits you one time and you're waking up the next day saying, what the hell happened? That's my yep. biggest thing. Heavyweight is a whole other animal. Heavyweight, like I said, Cain Velasquez could even like, even through the injury, like he still had multiple title reigns, but he got caught in a conditioning situation. He got outworked by Fabricio Verdum. He got knocked out by Francis Ngannou clipped and just clipped and caught in the first round and done. Um, that's all it takes. Heavyweight power takes. is a whole other animal. And just like you talk about Sergey, you know what I mean? Like one punch and it's over. Yeah. And not just heavyweight power. Francis Ngannou fucking power. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this guy hits like nobody else has ever hit before. And I think a year, maybe two years ago, I would be heavily towards John's favor in this fight. Francis has gotten better too, though. He's out there improving all the time. You can see him getting better in every fight. I'm assuming he's out there working still and still getting better. And that's just bad news for John Jones. Yeah. And I know that, listen, I know that, you know, Francis will have been out for a year because he had his knee surgery in March. And so by the time he comes back, it'll be about a year, but you know, I'm a big believer. Listen, I'm not, a, I'm not, I kind of subscribe a little bit to the dominant Cruz idea that like, you know, ring rust can kind of be an excuse a little bit, you know what I mean? But I also believe that like you can be off on your timing and things like that. Little things 
that you yeah. can't quite duplicate in training. I'm not talking about being conditioned for a fight. Well, I'm talking Don like Jones the, has been out just as long as Francis. He's been out longer. longer. That's what I'm saying. Like two years. Like the last time he fought was Dominic yeah. Reyes. That's how long ago it was. Yeah. Like so. But also uh, on the on the ring rust thing. You know, I, I've heard Dom's ideas on that or thoughts on that. I, I've heard you know the, the boxing thoughts on it, which basically all of them talk about ring rust all the time. You know, they do tune up fights and stuff like that. And I'll tell you, my opinion is it's individual. Like some people, it will affect them. Other people, it won't. I don't see it affecting John Jones. I don't know about Francis Ngata, but just from my um, perception of John Jones, who he is, the confidence level that he carries and the belief in himself, I don't see it affecting him. In Gano, uh, I don't know. But John Jones, I don't think it would affect. I think but it all I, I, yeah. I, I think it is very individual. I don't think you can make a general blanket blanket statement on all fighters saying whether ring rust is going to affect them or not. Oh, it's no, not you're absolutely right. People have. No, you're right. You're right. And, and like I said, what I was saying before, like, while I tend to subscribe more to the dominant Cruz theory, I also say like, you can't, there's certain things you can't duplicate in training. You can't duplicate exact hand speed and exact, you know, hand eye coordination and, 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 uh, and, um, uh, you know, little thing, timing, you know, timing is just a big thing. Timing is such a huge thing in the sport. Like, you know, you're timing your Absolutely. punches, gauging distance, things like that. And you can, again, sparring is not fighting. Um, and unless you're Sean Strickland, and you're a lunatic in there trying to just kill each other, which, you know, hopefully for the health of your brain and your future, you should be doing that. But, uh, yeah. So, and I, like I said, like, and also, like I said, John's going to be putting on like 35, 40 pounds, like a big part of his yeah a big part of his weaponry was he was so smooth and quick in his movements. Like, is he going to be more labored? Is he going to have like the same fast footwork at 260 that he had at 205? Is he, you know, like maybe he'll have more power, but is his wrestling going to be as explosive and, and, and things like that? Little things. Cause we know how good Francis is at heavyweight, man. That dude is a monster and probably the scariest Francis Ngannou, in my opinion, is the scariest dude ever in this sport. Like if you were going to throw me in a cage and force me to fight a fighter, that would be like the last guy I would choose. I would be mortified to step in there and see Francis Ngannou throwing freaking punches at me. That dude, like literally when I, when I was at his fight when he fought, uh, Alistair Overeem in Detroit, and I, I'm not kidding. I thought he, I thought he decapitated Overeem with that punch. Yeah, like he, he hit him so hard with that uppercut. I was like, oh my god, we just saw our first death. And I'm not trying to make light of it, but I'm like, that's how hard he hit him. I was like, we just saw this dude's head get popped in the third row. And I'm wondering uh, again. I'm big on this Sergey Pop Popovich. I think he might be the scariest guy soon. Right now, obviously, he hasn't fought a Francis. He hasn't fought. Uh, you know, for a title or anything, but I'm thinking this guy is going to do these big things and he might end up being the scariest guy. I might be wrong on that. Uh, I'm, I'm, calling, I'm high on I'm him too. I tell I'm, you I'm what, we, you know, what's funny is we may be talking about John Jones and Francis Ngannou at the end of the year. We may be talking about Francis and Sergey Pavlovich. That may be the fight we're talking about by the end of next year. You know what I mean? So um, last I thing I want to yeah, last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here, the biggest stories of, of, of the year. Um, you know, we talked a lot about the titles changing hands already with Adesanya and Usman and things like that. But I got to mention for the biggest story of the year, and, I, and this is the one I'm not going to sit here and try to give a lot of conjecture or opinion on it, but I just got to bring it up. The biggest story and kind of like, you know, the biggest tragedy this year was the Cain Velasquez situation. We all know what's going on. 
Um, Kane's actually got another court appearance coming up in about a week. It will be the date when his trial date gets set. Um, he did get released on bail fairly recently. He was able to actually go to a pro wrestling show out in Arizona. I know he's hanging out with Ryan Bader, Bellator heavyweight champion out there, former Arizona state teammate. Um, I'm not trying to get into like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not passing judgment, not trying to talk about that, but like that had to be one of the most like crazy, sad, um, insane stories of this year and i know it was one that kind of captured the headlines captured all of our attention and in so many ways broke my heart and i'm not again i'm not justifying what kane did i'm not trying to get into that conversation but like god i don't have i i bring this up for a couple of reasons one it is the biggest story of the year let's be honest like in terms of our sport matt like this was you know this transcends the sport like this was international news right like this was a big news story with kane velasquez you're a dad you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, you know, I listen, I've said my dogs are my kids and I will throw down for my dogs. Don't get me wrong. You hurt my dog. I'll freaking throw down, but you have kids. Like I can't imagine being in Kane. And again, I'm not, I'll be clear. I'm not justifying anything he did. I'm not, I want to be clear about that, but like, it's just heartbreaking to be in that situation. And again, I don't know the whole, you know, we don't, you know, give everyone their legal, like, you know, even the guy who's accused of doing what he did to Kane's family, Everyone's got to go through the legal system. So again, be clear about all this, but that whole situation was just absolutely heartbreaking. Yep. And I think I'm going to speak for the entire MMA community and all the dads out there. I'm a dad, like you said, and I have a daughter. Um, I'm, I'll speak for everyone. I'll say, look, we're cheering for Kane here. He did what we all would want to do. Um, again, we don't know the whole story. We don't know all the details. Maybe he did something wrong. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he stepped out of line. I have no clue. Um, but from what we know right now, the story that we know, the story that we've heard, the details that we do know, fuck yeah, Kane. We're cheering for you. We got your back, bro. You did what we would all want to do. It's uh, it, it, it just, man, like I said, it's such a heartbreaking situation because Again, I, I, I want to be legally clear here. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not condemning anyone. I'm not convicting anyone. Like, I want to be clear. So I'm not trying to throw out allegations or anything like that. But, like, I, you, when you try to put yourself in Kane's shoes in that moment, like, man, I just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. Like, my heart breaks for him. It breaks for his family, too, to be clear. Like, it really does. Cause that's just, mm-hmm. and they were at, without him for eight months. Now, again, I understand you do something bad, you go to jail. We all understand that. Um, I disagreed with the whole, like not letting him out on bail situation, like in the day and age we're at, like, you know, he's got, you know, electronic bracelets and all kinds of stuff, GPS and everything like he's, you know, and, and Kane's us, Kane's a celebrity. Like he's a well-known guy. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to just like suddenly like show up at the seven 11 down the street and no one's going to recognize him. Like everyone's going to know it's Kane Velasquez. Um, so like, I never agree with that whole thing. Like, cause Man, like what his what his kid went through, and like then they're living without their dad too. Oh my god, it just it breaks my heart. And listen, I I admit I'm closer to Kane. I don't know the other guy involved in this case, so I don't know. Like I'm not trying to like you know I know Kane, and and I, and it breaks my heart that he had to go through this, and like it's still ongoing. We don't know what's going to happen with the case. I don't know, but that was uh that was such a huge story this year and it, again it's I, I i keep going back to it and i don't know a better word for it but it's just heartbreaking like i really feel for kane velasquez the situation now, again i'm not justifying what he did i'm not trying to sit here and like say like he was right or wrong 
I understand the emotion of it, though. Let me say that. I understand the emotion yep. of it. I think we all do, right? Like, and in some way, you Absolutely. have to, right? You have to understand the emotion of that. Absolutely. And I, I think I'll, I'll yeah, maybe you have more to say, but I'll end the conversation or my dis- part of discussion with this. And, and that's the real victim in this, you know, that we should be praying for if you're a God person or meditating on whatever it is, you know, sending positive energy to is the kid. That's the real victim in the whole thing. Fuck everybody else. Everybody else should be all right, man. Pray for the kid. And I hope that, um, I don't remember if it was a boy or girl, but, you know, he or she, um, you know, gets through this okay. That's the one that's really hurting. Yeah, and that I think that's what killed me the most about the whole thing was, like, when he was, you know, being denied bail and everything is that, you know, he was without, like, they were without him. Now, again, again, you can say, well, he, you know, you do the crime, you do the time. I get all that. I'm not justifying it. But, like, that was also what broke my heart. Was like, this all went down. And then his kid's without his dad for eight months, you know what I mean? Like, oh, my God, it just kills me, you know what I mean? It just breaks my heart. And, again, I can't put myself in his shoes. I can't put myself in your shoes, man. I don't have kids. Like, I'm not saying you have to have kids to understand this or anything, but, like, you're a dad, you know what I mean? Like, you're a dad. Like, I I can't – I'm not. I can't sit there and say, like, what would I do? I can't say that because I don't know. You know, I don't know what I would do as a, but it, it, it's a, it's a horrible situation. You would, want to a, do, you would want to do what he did, whether you would or not, it's a different thing, but yeah, that's would, true. Yeah. So it's probably, every, probably every a better person. way to say it. Yeah. Some people have the balls too. Some people don't, you know? Um, and I say props to him. He had the balls to do it. And he knew that there was going to be consequences as to what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we may not have resolution to this for a while. I mean, you know, like I said, his trial, we assume will happen next year. Um, we don't know. I know that there's been a real outpouring of support for Kane. Um, weirdly, this sport has gotten big, Matt. You and I know this. Like, it's so much bigger than the stories we were telling about, like, you know, going to the UFC events back in, like, 2005 or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that was one situation where it seemed like the entire community came together and supported Kane, like, you know, selling T-shirts and, yep. you know, trying to raise legal funds and, like, do whatever they could because um, – you know, in these moments, that's when the community kind of does come together again. Like we are a much bigger sport than we used to be, but I've never seen a bigger outpouring of like support for anybody uh, than Kane had this year. Like that was a really like, I mean, it was because listen, there's very few things that can like bring everyone together in MMA. We all disagree about something and very rarely do we all agree on something. It seemed like even the people who disagreed with the action still kind of felt for Kane in that situation. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I said. Like, I'm not justifying what he did, but my heart breaks for him that he had to go through that because if, if, if the allegations of what happened to his kid are true, man, I just, I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I'll be honest with you, Matt. I don't know if I have the mental wherewithal to deal with that. Like, I feel like I would be broken. You know what I mean? Mm. Like personally, like, I feel like that would break me. Like, I don't know if I could deal with that. You know what I mean? Like that level of atrocity being carried out on a child like that just, I don't know, man. Like I don't have kids, so I can't say, but I don't know if I can even deal with that. Yeah. Even the thought of it sends a chill down my spine. Like I, I would do the same thing Kane did, you know, <laughs> like maybe worse, you know, maybe he meant to do worse. I, I don't know. But uh, again, you know, it's the, the child here is the victim and this one we, we should all be praying for and, um, you know, sending positive energy whatever you can for man that's the one that's the one suffering the most out of all these yeah. even kane spending that time in jail whatever the child is the one suffering the most in this whole thing 
Yeah, we had a lot of weird legal situations this year. We had the cane. We had that one. Of course, that's of course the worst of it all. And you know, again, you know, not making light of it. Obviously, very horrible situation. We had the uh, Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal assault, yeah. which is a weird one. And then this past weekend, we had Jake Shields and Mike Jackson. Did you see this story? Oh yeah, yeah. Who didn't see that story? Oh my yeah, gosh! How how how, how wild is Jake, that? Man. I mean, more power to Jake, man. Yeah, this guy was talking shit to him. And I know Jake says some fucking crazy shit on Twitter. I've followed him for a long time. He says some shit that no one's going to agree with, but you don't go calling people Nazis and shit, man. You know, and, and Jake is far from a Nazi. He might say some shit you don't agree with. He might be, you know, a little out there on some things according to you or whatever, according to someone else, but come on, man. Like, you know, you know, like you can't say that shit and then confront, you know, see some see Jake Shields in person. He's not going to do anything. So fuck Mike Jackson. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a it's it's a it's a it's a bad one because like um, this is this is what fighters do. And I'm not saying like fighters are Neanderthals who can't control their emotions, but you are fighters. You say like I say this all the time. Words have consequences. You know what I mean? And like I'm not like I don't justify what Jorge Masvidal did to Colby Covington, because you had, you had five rounds to hit him in that fight when you fought each other yeah, and, and, and you didn't, you know what I mean? You didn't, you didn't win. Now, of course you're still pissed off and you still want to get yours, but running up on a dude and, and I don't know that again, I'm being, you know, I don't know the full story. And like, again, I'm not trying to condemn Jorge, but like, you know, you, 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 you run up and, and punch a dude when he's not looking. Then that's probably not a good look. Like you're professional fighters. You had five rounds to settle it. You didn't settle it, but you know, you talk, like I said, you say enough stuff online, eventually it's going to come back to bite you because that's always like the old school thing, right? Like you, you, what would you say? Cause my thing, my, th- I've said this for decades. Don't say anything to anybody online through text message over video that you wouldn't say it to them in their face. Absolutely. If you wouldn't, if you wouldn't say it to them, to their face, knowing the consequences, knowing that you might get smacked, then don't say it. Yeah, especially when you're Mike Jackson. Like, you're a UFC fighter, too. <laughs> like, I don't know if he's still in the UFC. I don't think he is. but He is, actually. You know, he's, he's, still, he's, still, he's still in okay. the UFC. Well, there you go. Even worse, right? You are in the UFC, too. Like, yeah, you're, you're, you're an open book. to. <laughs> like, that's an open invite to fuck you up or, or fight you, you know? Like especially at the UFCPI, like, what do you think Jake's going to do? And I said, more power to Jake, man. Like, fuck that guy. <laughs> Have you ever had a gym incident like that? Um, I've been involved in them myself. Not quite like that, but um, I've been in a, a – yeah, I mean, I've seen some. Uh, <laughs> actually, I got a good one. So this, well, I was training for Robbie Lawler, had about – five or six guys in my camp. This guy was talking shit, you know, on Twitter saying he's going to come in and fuck me up and this and that. And I'm like, all right. So I gave him the address to the gym. This is what we used to do on Twitter. Right? I, don't, <laughs> I don't do this anymore, but I just gave him the address to the gym. All right, come on down, buddy. He actually showed up and started saying he's going to fuck me up. And I said, well, um, you got to go through my training partner first. Like I'm in the middle of training camp, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to see if you're any good, right? So he went with my training partner. He didn't know my training partner was actually, you know, probably as good as me. This guy who's Anderson Silva's former 
really good friend, training partner, uh, trained a shooter box for like 10 years or something. Uh, Mario Shaolin uh, is his name. I forget his last name, but uh, Mario, we call him Shaolin. And this dude is a bunch of Brazilians in my camp. We are Mario fucked him up <laughs> like and every time he would drop him you know all the brazilians are like oh poor ah, get back up motherfucker get back up <laughs> get back i got a video of it i'll just send it to you and he's like just get back up motherfucker get back up he dropped him with a body shot he'd go down they just let him get back up knock him down again finally when they knocked him out he was out for i don't know 10 15 seconds and we're like all right bro just go home now <laughs> did he say anything on the and way out after uh, all that no, I was training for Tim Means, not Robbie Lawler. What was that? I said, did he say anything after that? Like, did he say, like, did he, when he got up and left, did he apologize or anything? Never heard another word from him. It always reminds me yeah. of like, the gym challenge. We always see, like, I remember somebody did that with Josh Koscheck back in the day. They showed up and Josh just beat the living hell out of him. Like, credit to yeah, showing up. That. Credit to showing up because most guys wouldn't. But yeah, like I, I listen. I'm not gonna again. I'm not gonna pass judgment on what's right or what's wrong. But like you know, you know, words have consequences. And when you're fighters, like I would hope, and I know Jake has said this, but I would hope Jake's got a good enough sense to like if some idiot online said that and he ran into him in the street, Jake wouldn't attack some random dude. You know, no. Well, I think it, that's it, what I was getting at a minute ago. I don't. I don't think he would. But you're talking a UFC fighter talking shit to him. Yeah, you know, right? Like if you're a UFC fighter, bro. Like you're 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 opening yourself to those consequences. Like you're you you're gonna talk shit to another UFC fighter when you approach it. When you guys see each other, you're probably you're either gonna be fighting or he's gonna try to fight you. I mean, you see this with UFC fighters all the time. Like you guys are ready to throw down any second. Paulo Costa and Hamza Chamaya about threw down the UFC PI a couple months ago. So there you go. I, and uh, to be clear, let me say this. Like, I've known Mike for a long time. Um, I, I've always liked Mike. I've always liked Jake. I've known Jake for way longer. I've known Jake for 16 years. That's how long I go back with Jake Shields. Um, I disagree with about 99.8% of everything he says these days. Uh, he's a little far out there. Um, don't like that stuff. Not my thing. Not trying to get political. Just not my bag. Um but I've always got along with him. He's gone a little, you know, like he's fallen down the crazy tree and hit a lot of branches on the way down lately. But, uh, you know, yeah, I know. It, it's a weird one. And, and like well, the, everyone... one, the one thing on that note, like I know Jake, um, I hung out with him for a little while and like, he will debate his stances, you know, like he will like friendly debate them. Like he's not, um, I mean, he's certainly like a hard line and will kind of, I mean, he's a hard ass, you know, he's a tough guy. Like he's going to, say what he feels and he's going to say it in a strong way and he's going to make his point known but he will also talk about it like and i've noticed on his twitter particularly like people they respectfully say things back to him like you know he will debate it right mike jackson didn't do that he called him a fucking nazi <laughs> you know it's like if like, like how you disagree like if you want if you felt the need to disagree with him. Like you wouldn't start calling him names, right? You would say, you know, I, I disagree with this because of this. As soon as you start insulting people, especially professional fighters, again, you're opening that now. If it's, And even more so if you're a professional fighter, you just open that door. 
I've said this for years, and this was my this is to this day my standing policy on Twitter. I don't block people for arguing with me on Twitter. Like I have no problem with that. But the first time you name call, I just block you and be done with it. Because you just you just you just lowered the conversation. Right? Like if you just call me stupid or call me a dumbass or, you know, insult my hair, whatever the hell you say about me. Then you've just you've just lost because you're no longer debating what we were debating. You're just name calling, and as soon as you name call, Do people actually insult your hair, Damon. What's that? People actually insult your hair. I can't believe I, that. I, 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 you know, it happens, dude. It's just the world we live <laughs> in, man. The world we live. No, but seriously, like, like when you go to that realm, when when you when you stop discussing whatever it is, you get so angry that you just have to start name calling. Then I don't have time for you, like. I could disagree with you all day and we could complete, I've, I've argued with Jake on Twitter about stuff. And I'd like, you know, we've had like during the pandemic, we had quite a few, but at no point did he ever call me a name or I call him a name in response. Like I completely right. disagree. I think he had a completely wrong stance and he probably thought I had a wrong stance and that's fine. Um, but yeah, when you start name calling, I kind of lose interest. Like that's kind of my philosophy on Twitter. Like when you call me right. a name, I just block you. I was like, all right, you're no longer you're no longer intelligently defending your point. We can could we can disagree all day. That's fine. We may never agree. That's fine. But when you start name calling, I got no place for you in my life. Like I have no place for you when you just yeah. start calling me names. No, well, when we start name calling, it's no longer a conversation. Uh, like me and you, we've had political conversations and we're vastly different, right? Like yeah. when we had our last podcast, I think we maybe started talking about a little bit too much, right? We're like, all right, motherfucker, no more <laughs> politics talk, right? Uh, and, but we were like great friends the whole time, still are. Like we never, you know, like I never thought lesser of you because you have a different opinion than me and I assume the same, right? Like it's, you know, so when, again, that's where Mike Jackson fucked up. He goes out starts calling names and not just any names like really bad names <laughs> you know like you can't call anybody a nazi and think that's okay even a nazi you can't even call a nazi i don't think i don't know i don't know any nazis but i assume like if you call them that they're gonna be like, hey, fuck you right but yeah it's, it's just it, uh it, yeah and then like because now like the big controversy is like he's talking about pressing charges and like I saw Lando Venata and other people, and everyone is losing their freaking minds about that. Like that is what everyone's losing their like losing their minds about right now about that. Yeah, of course he would. Like he's, I mean, he's a pussy guy. Like I'll say it straight. Like I would say it to Mike Jackson's face, like you're a fucking pussy. Like you want you say that shit to Jake Shields online, then you got your ass whooped. Like suck it up, okay? Like, like those are fighting words that you said. Like, like you, again, you open the fucking door, bro. Like if you can't accept those consequences, then you're a pussy that you just start pressing charges. Like, like you said, fighting words and you got into a fight about it. You lost the fight. Fair enough. Like Jake's a fucking bad dude. <laughs> you know, like he's a tough son of a bitch. A lot of people are going to lose a fight to him. There ain't no shame in that. Yeah, you know, it's weird is like you and I have seen this when guys have had like real bad blood and it, it doesn't always it doesn't always go this way. But we've seen it a million times in the sport where guys have like legitimately bad blood. They go in the cage, beat the shit out of each other for 15 minutes. And then like it's all kind of behind them. Like, you know, what I mean, like that's kind of yeah. like how you work. That's how you work out your frustration. Like you work out your beef in the cage. And then now, you know, there's exceptions to the rule like Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. But there, you know, a lot of times we've seen really bad, nasty rivalries get settled by punching each other in the face for 15 minutes and then, you know, shake hands and it's all over. You know, like that's how you work out your anger and your frustration. Dude, fighting solves everything. 
<laughs> that is the Matt Brown philosophy of life. Fact. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to get out of here. Uh, as I said, we're not going to be on the air next week. Uh, we are going to uh, enjoy a little holiday time, some family time, uh, the new year, and then we'll be back the following week. Matt, I can't wait for that show. You, me, and Paul Felder doing our year year preview of 2023. It's going to be a blast. Paul's one of the top analysts. He's a great dude. Had him on the show earlier this year to do the 2022 preview. And now that you are the permanent co-host on the show, it felt only responsible to have Paul come back and all three of us give our opinions on the uh, on what we look forward to in, uh, in 2023. Uh, before we get out of here, Matt, what can people check out about you? What you got going on? What else is happening so people can throw you some support as they are listening to the podcast? Follow me on social media, man. And I, I, I am the immortal on Instagram and Twitter. And I even just started a fucking TikTok, man. I'm, <laughs> my kids got me on it, man. I, I'm the immortal on TikTok too. Um, at the immortal coffee. Check it out right here. Make excuses, not coffee. Um, that's make, excuse, all, uh, make, 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 make excuses, not coffee. That's what you just said. Make coffee, not excuses. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You get it. <laughs> 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 okay um also dynamic striking man check out my clinch instructionals and should be dropping the partner drill instructional any day now and if you go I on social media and if you go on social media don't call Matt any names or it will show up and beat you up so i'll just throw it out there at the last of <laughs> i mean if i see you i will somebody's <laughs> getting beat maybe you'll beat me up but one of us is <laughs> All right, we're getting out of here. want to say a big thank you to everyone that tunes into the show each and every week. Make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. And we'll see you guys for our year uh, our year ahead preview on January 3rd. We'll be off next week, so enjoy the podcast until then, and we'll see you uh, in the new year in 2023 right here on The Fighter versus The Rider. See you then. Yep. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.